0: one of the most unique podcasts on the planet hey bus driver hey bus driver hey bus driver the show about everything related to student transportation if you're a student transportation professional you found your show hey bus driver exploring the entire school transportation universe Talking to interesting and inspiring people, exchanging ideas, promoting student transportation industry growth, and sharing a few funny stories along the way. Now, live from Phoenix, Arizona, this is Hey Bus Driver, and this is Jason Nelson.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hey Bus Driver podcast. Uh, Today, we're talking to Scott Brugge and i got Chad Brinkley here. I think Scott and Chad go back a little bit. I won't say way back because that might date them, but uh, no. welcome. We're going to talk a little bit about contracted uh, transportation. Just maybe the differences between what a transportation service looks like versus running your own department at a district. Uh, we'll just kind of see where things go. So Chad, I hope you're feeling just a smidgen better than when I last talked to you. Yes.
2: Yeah. Just a little, yes, a little bit. I'm <laughs> coughing it all up now and and um yeah. I took a shower today. Oh, that wow. made me feel better. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Yeah. I'm showered in a couple of days. I had to wash the <laughs> wash the vid off of me. The <laughs> COVID. All
1: right. Right on. Scott, welcome. How are you, sir, today?
3: Hey, doing well, Jason. Thank you.
1: Good, good. I wanted to point out real quick, because Chad was talking about softball uh yesterday that uh OU smashed Texas sixteen (laughs) to one, like wow! All right, I mean they're here to here to take it home, huh Chad? Did you watch Uh, the game? I
2: mean, yeah, I watched the game. I mean, I would have loved to see the game if my Cowboys would have pulled it off against Texas and been an OSU versus OU national championship. Uh But since Texas played out of their minds, I'm rooting really hard for OU to do exactly what they did last night. They just need to do it again and send Texas home, send them back to. Wherever they're from, Austin, all right. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Get those, send those Longhorns back across the river. Yeah, Get out of here.
1: Not familiar with Texas, but... Uh, very,
2: very good game. OU is phenomenal at softball. Right on. Yeah. Anyway. Good. Good. I just wanted to point
1: that out because it was a point of
2: information yesterday. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because the guy was from Texas. He didn't know. He didn't even know. How do you not know Texas is playing for national championship in anything? You're from Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could see that if you were,
1: like, here, you're a ASU fan versus U of A fan. Like, you didn't pay attention to U of A stuff, but ASU, I don't know, any, being any different?
2: No? I don't know. Stop defending the guy. That's all I'm saying. Stop <laughs> defending the guy. He's Very good. Texas. Well... Broogie, if, if Kansas ever plays for national championship, are you aware of it? Or Kansas State? That one?
3: Yeah, absolutely. When, when's the last time KU won, won something? I have no idea. Come
2: on now. Come on, in football, they won a game last year. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't even weren't they
2: weren't they right at the
1: top in uh NCAA tournament?
3: They won it. Yeah. This year, national yeah. This year they were that was Oh a, they come did, on. didn't they? <laughs> That's right. You can't well, be six six and not know about this.
2: So Baylor won it last year. Kansas won it this year, right? Something like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was, Google yep, it, Chad. There. You got a
2: computer in front of you. God, I forgot <laughs> that they won it this year. Weird.
1: seemed so long ago, right? I mean, so long ago. <laughs> Anyways, to get right into it, um, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about just kind of the the private transportation. Um, you know, there's a I don't I wouldn't call it a phenomena, but there's you know for whatever reason, like the it feels like Midwest to the East Coast, there's there's so much more. So many more companies that run student transportation that, you know, districts reach out to and contract with versus what happens out here on the, I guess, the Southwest and the West Coast, right? Seems just different. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Scott, maybe just kind of intros to, you know, how you got into transportation, uh, a little bit of background, and maybe just um, some some aspects of, of what you do for the company that you work for.
3: Sure. Yeah, I started in 91, uh, uh, basically right out of college. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, like most kids coming out of school. And um, a buddy of mine, David Crabtree, had been uh, working with his family in the, the bus business. And they were starting to grow the business. And uh, we went out and had some drinks. And he said, why don't you come and talk to dad tomorrow? He, he, he'll probably find something for you to do. So I, I uh, went over and talked with his dad for an afternoon and, and uh, lo and behold, that's my inter- entry ticket to the, the school bus world. And, and again, 22 years old, didn't think I'd make a career out of it, but uh, uh, it's just one of those deals, get into it. And I just love uh, the difference uh, every day was and uh, not necessarily being tied to a desk, uh, just dealing with uh, people in a community. School districts and uh, and making a difference. Hopefully, with the the children you transport. Sure. Uh, so, I worked with Crab Crabtree uh, for uh, seven years. They sold in '98 to National Express when the British invasion started happening. They were actually one of the first companies uh, that sold out. Um, and then uh, worked with uh, Durham School Services. Durham Transportation was the next company that that the National Express had bought. In '99, and in 2000, uh, they had bought a company called School Services and Leasing. So in 2000, that's kind of where the uh, brand uh, contractor Durham School Services. So you took the large company of Durham and a large company of School Services and Leasing, and basically combined them. So I worked at Durham School Services uh, pretty much from 2000 to 2012. Um, it, you know, my <coughs> I, I was an area manager. For starting out, and then went to uh, basically being a region VP, uh, most, most uh, four or five states in the Midwest area. Uh, every once in a while, the states would change as, as uh, we grew and uh, as we uh, maneuvered contracts around, had some restructure. But did that until 2012, when uh, uh, I had met Scott Kincaid a few years earlier, uh, when his dad had uh, sold school service and leasing, uh, they had operated about thirty eight hundred buses in seven states, and when his dad sold, Scott was still in college and and then uh there towards oh probably two thousand eight or nine, I'd started dealing with uh, Scott when it came time to renew leases because a lot of the contracts that his dad had operated uh, they had kept the facilities bus barns uh in the family name and uh so as I renewed contracts in my region, I would uh, sit down with a, a beer most, most of the time with Scott Kincaid, and uh, we'd talk uh, uh, lease renewals. And so about four years after doing that, Scott gave me, a call and, and, uh, gave me an offer to come over and uh, work with the family company uh, of Kincaid Group, starting up uh, uh, first in the in the bus dealership world with Midwest Bus Sales, a Thomas dealer. Um. So they were. That's where you to met grow. me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. no, it, it, uh, they were uh, small. Uh, I shouldn't say small. They had three states at the time. Uh, but when uh, I came over, I helped Scott grow. Uh, Thomas or the dealership with Thomas, in the three other states. So now they they've got six states in the Midwest that they uh represent Thomas for. And then uh, the contracting part of the group uh, started in 2011 and uh, just really hadn't grown. So in 2016, um, David Crabtree had gotten back in the business and was running his own contract. And I'd stayed in touch with David over the years, selling him buses through Midwest bus sales. And uh, we ended up acquiring David's company to kind of help get the contracting world grow, growing. And uh, and then from there, we won some contracts. And then uh, in 2018, we uh, acquired another company, uh, student transportation specialist out of uh, Texas, uh, Louisiana, and New Mexico. And uh, so at that point, uh, the company had doubled in size overnight. So I got tapped on the shoulder to come back into the contracting world and, and help, uh, our VP Dale bone, uh, grow the, the contracts and, and, uh, help, help uh, fill the voids with the open positions and, and the support staff you need to operate about a thousand buses, which as of today, we're operating right at a thousand buses, uh, 15 school districts in seven States. And, uh, and our, our owner, as Chad knows, Scott Kincaid, has has uh one speed and it's fast and it's, <laughs> Dude, it's put on the, full foot on the pedal. throttle
2: all the time. It seems like most yeah. business
1: bu- most business owners though, right? They're just they're they're you know, they're a different breed of people. So
2: Yeah,
3: and Scott's second generation, his dad, you know, entrepreneurial, he had multiple businesses through uh, his career and you know, operating school buses, but Buses were always a passion of his. Uh, Don still comes in the office today, um, mostly to harass everybody, but uh, (laughs) he he still comes in and loves to talk buses, whether it's uh, contracting or or selling buses. So he's still involved, but uh, Scott's Scott's running uh, basically the Kincaid group of companies, which uh, on the transportation division side, that's Midwest Bus Sales as the division, uh, Kincaid Coach Lines, which is our motor coach division. And DS Bus Lines, which is our our contracting division.
2: Well, it's funny you talk about talk about Don. You you mentioned coming out of college and going getting into the contracting side, getting the school bus side. The gentleman we talked to yesterday, same thing. You know, Josh yesterday he mentioned coming out of school, getting into it. And then you talk about go back to like Don. Don got out of school, was teaching briefly, correct, and then he like went to work driving bus for a contractor. Ended up buying the seven buses that guy's contract yeah. if i'm right and then yeah the 3800 buses and sold for if you can imagine a pretty little penny but it's kind of neat that you then you know, we talk about don and then josh yesterday getting out of college and getting into this this business and i get the i get the question i've gotten i've been in what 15, 12 15 14 years i know mean, how long i've been in it when people say what do you do i said i sell school buses they're always taking back oh I never thought about that. I guess someone needs to sell them. So people don't think about the school bus industry as something that you could get into and make a career out of it, a pretty solid career, or you could be like Don and make a fortune out of it. But but uh, it's, it's really neat to hear people that we talk to on this podcast that get out of college, right out of college, or even some of them, you know, shortly out of high school, get into this business and they've been with it for years because it's a good tight knit community. You know, you can learn a lot, you can move up, you can move from anywhere in the state, anywhere in the United States, you can go somewhere. If you have the experience, you can move anywhere.
3: Yeah. It's, it's the, the school bus world. Yeah, you're right. Chad, the, the end point of folks like me and, and, you know, probably a handful of others that uh, started in the early twenties and have stayed with it. You know, I'm in my early fifties now and, uh, there, there's not too many of us that have stayed in the industry or or you know worked their way you know up through the ranks and and have gone through that or even you know stayed you know ten plus years uh, after doing something else. Um, it, it's a tough business um, you know whether you're on the on the school side, you know operating your own buses or if you're on the contractor side, you know operating buses. The uh, the schedule's not conducive to a, a traditional family be at home you know work 8 to 5 and you know leave your work at at work um there's a lot of a lot of facets of uh weekends nights holidays where where buses are moving and uh phones have to be on and and uh you're always taking calls something's always happening
2: for sure cuz Jason you you were let's see you're in the rodeo, right? And then you got into school buses. Is that right, Jason?
3: No. <laughs> you were
2: I thought you were you were a rodeo clown or you rode bulls yeah. or something. And then you got into school buses. No, nothing
1: <laughs> like that. Construction <laughs> man, construction management. That's then, right. <clears throat> which was I guess you could call it a rodeo. Um but yeah, watching <laughs> you know, coming coming from construction right through the two thousand eight, two thousand ten, you know, recession era time frame and just watching, you know, times Times were good when times are good, and times are bad when times are bad, so um, just transitioned out to finding you know like bus driving was only supposed to be in between an in between job. It was I'll do this short term, it's got forty hours benefits at the time, right I mean that was the the employer that I was working for, but I was also went from what clearing a thousand dollars a week in construction to making ten dollars and 71 cents an hour as a bus driver i mean that's like that's a humbling experience especially for a i think at the time i was 24 25 right so you know talk about mid young to mid 20s That's a. It's like wow. All right. Well, I guess we're gonna, you know, be moving back in with the parents. Which fortunately I didn't have to. But um, you know, it's. I mean, what what truly amazes me is that there's people that live on these types of salaries, right? I mean, we were talking about yesterday that, you know, some of these drivers are only making seventeen to twenty thousand dollars a year. Granted, they get benefits, but <clears throat> like, how do you how do you live off that? How do you make this work? And especially with fuel prices where they're going up now. I can't wait for next year if they stay where they're out to hear the the you know, the call in, you know, not necessarily excuses, but it's a it's a viable thing. I don't I can't afford to I can't afford to come to work. Right. How are they going to get to work? Because they don't have enough money to pay for gas to go to work.
2: So So that leads me to my question with Scott is we were talking yesterday to a gentleman about he down in Texas. He got his bus drivers twenty five dollars an hour, some of them more than that, depending on their seniority. I'm curious in the contractor world in the Midwest, kind of what's the average pay for drivers out there? And I'm sure you guys scale it from beginners to, you know, experienced veterans, correct?
3: Yeah. It, you know, we have to be competitive. We're, we're seeking that same pool of drivers uh, that school districts are and other employees are, you know, drug free, you know, responsible, you know, come to work, show up, uh, all that. And, Um, You know, that is one thing we've seen uh, in the last three years, uh, since I've been back on the contracting side, wages um, needed more attention to be more competitive. Uh, But at the same time, um, you're you're dealing with everyone else that's uh, short employees, and whether that's sign-on bonuses, uh, uh, retention bonuses, um, you know, giving $2 more an hour for X amount of experience, you know, there, there's options for someone with a CDL, uh, regardless if it's school buses or, or any type of delivery driver business. And I think that's another facet that's kind of changed the landscape, at least in the Kansas City area. Uh, you know, you've got the Amazons of the world, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world that you know, you kind of name your schedule and and uh, you can compete at that 18 to $20 range, which, you know, that's most of the market in Kansas City, uh, starts between 18 and 20 and tops out close to 24.
2: Is that bus drivers so, or Amazon? Yeah, that's bus. Okay.
3: That, well, it's both. A- Amazon's right there too. And, and, you know, one thing with bus drivers, most of our, uh, contracts and with routes, you know, they're not getting 40 hours a week, so they don't qualify for benefits, um, so it's, it is really tough if someone is supporting a mortgage or a car payment in uh, a family to do that on. So it used to be we're driving a school bus, you know, similar to you, Jason. It's, it's a it's a fix until you find something else. Or maybe it's a, hey, I can do that early in the morning or in the afternoon and I can either farm or do something in between. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're really seeing a lot less of those people and then, the retirement group too, you know, with COVID, you know, we lost probably 10% of our employees overnight that never came back just because of high risk, because of their age and health.
1: Sure. No, I I think that, I mean, that's very much a real thing, I think across, across the country. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting just, I, I guess I'm curious, are you guys able to, do you feel that you're able to be more competitive in the workplace than what maybe a traditional school district is because you you are in the in the business of making money and so you can make, like, on-the-fly adjustments without having to go through board approval or so on and so forth to, to raise wages?
3: Yeah, you know, that's a catch-22 type of uh, answer, I think, because, you know, a lot of times, yes, there are things we can do, but if it's going to be significant, our two largest line items, or our one largest line item, is, is driver wages. Um, so, you know, when you talk a dollar more an hour to, to impact, you know, that that's fairly significant when you're talking, you know, taking some of that out of the profit margin. Sure. Um, you know, traditional profit margins between six to eight percent margin, and uh, so when you when you're talking, you know, a line item of a driver driver wage and staff wage, maintenance wage typically you're talking 50% of your cost goes directly into labor, whether that's driver, staff, or, or technicians. So, you know, with the other uh, fixed and overhead costs is bus payments, insurance, fuel, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Looking at <clears throat> something to cut, you kind you of scratch your head and say, okay, what do we do now? Sure. Especially with the cost of buses going up, cost of the fuel going up.
1: Um, right. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's all it, coming from somewhere. And I, I totally get that. I guess, I you know, the lead into is like, what is the, I mean, what's the drive for a school district to, to reach it, you know, to, to almost, I mean, some districts do where they scrap all of their transportation and say, you know, we want a company to come in and do all of our transportation versus help us supplement, either provide drivers when we're short or, you know, do these 10, 15 routes so on and so forth. Like, what's the? I mean, what have what have you found over the years? That's kind of the motivating factor that they just can't staff. or they they want to do it more efficiently? Or I mean, kind of, can you talk about that?
3: Yeah. So the main piece is a lot of schools. You know, from a, what they're looking for, um, and what we see from an RFP standpoint is schools that are already outsource. So. You know, maybe they're with the first student or an STA or, you know, ABC company um, and they just had a poor service, whether that's they've been short drivers or uh, accidents or their fleet keeps breaking down. Um, so those are some of the driving factors. If you have a school that's already contracted, that's looking to maybe make a change with their current provider um, for a school district that's potentially looking to outsource, um, and get away from doing it themselves. Uh, typically it's, it's driver related. You know, they, they've got an aging, uh, driver force and, and they just don't see people coming through the door. The requirements to get a CDL, the requirements, uh, for safety and training that get put on that. They just don't have either the, uh, bandwidth or the, uh, personnel to do that. And, and that's where I think a contractor comes in with uh, some synergy. So if we have an operation, you know, within 30 minutes uh, of a school that's looking, you know, that needs help with safety and training or maintenance, you know, we probably have a shop or, you know, full-time trainer that can help out and and do some of the things where a school district would have to probably hire someone uh, and put them on full-time. So there's shared costs, I think, from our side that, that we get involved with as we look at grouping of uh schools that are nearby one another whether that's sharing of of drivers sharing of safety support or, or technicians
1: it's almost like a i i used to well i've called our van services like a rented driver right it's just rather than incurring the employee forever right i can kind of scale it back or ratchet it up as m- much as i need to and you know depending on how how many people we lose over the year or you know what our pro- projections are for the upcoming year so it's uh it's interesting. Do you, I assume that <clears throat> I mean I don't wanna assume that you guys offer benefits or whatnot and you don't have to talk about that, but just do you find that bus drivers are more willing to come work for a private company um because they won't they're they're more able to get more money I guess in the in the long term or in their pocket, I guess their immediate pocket to pay their bills versus going to a school district and watching say eleven to twelve percent and, you know, state retirement and other other benefits going you know going out before it comes to them you
3: know I think it's mixed I think you're always going to have those drivers that are chasing just you know what's my take-home pay um, but others you know seek out to uh, be part of uh, a, a, an employer piece where in a school district from what we've seen and as we've hired folks away from other schools in, in the area uh, it's you know they're kind of forgotten because there's so you know, teachers obviously get the, the biggest amount of attention uh, in a school district, and the school bus uh, employees, drivers, monitors kind of get the second fiddle. So when when a, a contractor comes in, I mean that that those are our employees. That's all we do, and uh, they get a lot of focus. And uh, we hear a lot of people uh, as we take over a contract saying, "Man, you guys listen. You have people to do this." You know, when we'd have to go up through the assistant superintendent, you know, we'd get a lot of lip service, and then we'd never hear him back from the guy yeah. or the gal. So it, it, I think that comes into play, and, and you know, too, you know, part of our retention efforts, and, you know, we spend quite a bit of money on recruiting, but we also spend quite a bit of money on retention. Um, and I think that's a lot of contractors try to do that. Uh, I don't know how schools do a lot, but, you know, monthly luncheons um you know this past year we we kind of launched a campaign kind of local localized incentives where we gave everyone a bucket of dollars based on how large their location or how many employees they had and uh, we said if you want to raffle let's say uh, one of our larger schools got ten thousand dollars if you want to do a one-time raffle and a driver gets ten thousand or if you want to you know spread it out each week or once a month and someone gets a, a TV or an iPad or something like that sure. you know just to engage the employees to uh, show up every day and obviously with everything they were dealing with on the buses with the kids and the masks and and uh, just the hectic schedule of you know whether it was a hybrid schedule that someone you know every day was somewhat different because of uh, what schools were open or, or what schools were closed
2: which well, was... and retention is a big deal. The the last podcast, the guy was talking about when they the district raises their pay to twenty five dollars an hour. One of the things he took to the to the superintendent and everybody, showing them that what he it's seven thousand dollars to replace an employee. I mean, you well, have to, seven thousand yeah, dollars to train
1: invested. the the training costs that goes into the employee training with yeah.
2: diesel and and all the different you know the time and and effort and money and and tests and whatnot. He figured around $7,000. So you take that over, you know, 20 drivers a year, that's the money that you could put towards an hourly wage and just help retain them and, sure. and keep them around. So I'm sure Scott, you guys are running the same thing as far as retention. I mean, it sounds like you're doing similar stuff. Keep, keep the drivers happy, keep them around, do stuff that Amazon wouldn't do for them or, you know, just a regular but, school district wouldn't do for them.
3: Yeah. That, and that is key. Um, you know, especially, you know, I know when COVID first happened. Uh, you know, we we wouldn't let the drivers in the in the uh, facility, um, and uh, and and once we did open it back up, it was limited numbers and you know chairs with no tables, but we had chairs and chairs were spaced out. And so now that we've kind of somewhat gotten back to normal to to have little get-togethers and do stuff, it, it's been key. And, uh, and we've heard a lot of positives from our group. And we've done some other stuff uh, this past year, um, you know, just knowing that, you know, everyone was dealing with something in our driver's uh, groups and driver rooms. Our our managers became uh, part-time therapists, um, you know, dealing with uh, certain driver's issues or their family or or just being scared and, you know, wondering what's happening in the world. Uh, we, we end up uh, launching a, a chaplaincy program. Uh, we hired a company called Marketplace Chaplains. And um, they're nationwide, and they're able to go out to all of our locations and once a week and just show up. And, uh, and whether you're faith-based or not, they're there to talk to you. And if, if there's help as of mental uh, anguish or, or a, a family crisis, they're there to help provide resources um, and, and you know, basically just care. It, so you know, a lot of companies have a, an employee system program, EAP. Uh, but we saw this as a better opportunity to have folks come in and uh basically just love and care for our employees uh because our managers sometimes were either ill equipped or too busy dealing with you know ringing phones or or dispatch radios or trying to find enough drivers you know to cover afternoon routes
2: yeah i'm 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 picturing dell sitting down counseling somebody. <laughs> <laughs> You felt you felt the love, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing that. Ugh.
1: No, but on a serious note, I, I mean, I think that <laughs> that is important. There's one district uh, here in the, in the state that that mentioned something similar to that, where they were having, you know, some type of, um, not necessarily therapists, but people that were coming in to, you know, be able to be available if they wanted to go into a room and just, you know, talk about what they were feeling, or, you know, I think that, you know. I think didn't we just come out of last month mental mental health awareness month was uh, was May so you know just that stuff that's important right and again I think these uh, our bus drivers our transportation uh, administrators school district or private are all dealing with you know several levels of of stress right whether it's on the bus kids and parents whether it's you know staffing budgets budget reductions um you know their own work schedule and they just feel like they're forced like there is no out there is no option and heaven forbid i take a personal day or a vacation day to get away and reset myself like there's just so much work and there's not enough help to you know, to, to clear it. So I, I think that's, you know, kudos to you guys for, for bringing, um, bringing them in just to, you know, just to help with that.
3: Yep. Now it, it, we've launched it in February and, and we've had, uh, just, we did a quick little survey to kind of gauge the first quarter. And, you know, one, does everyone know about it? And, you know, we launched it during safety meetings. Cause that's the, the, the time you have most, uh, drivers, uh, you know, at least hopefully li- trying to listen to what the message is. Um, but, uh, we, we just surveyed them and kind of uh, not ask them what their troubles were or what they talked to them about, but just say, you know, Hey, these folks are here. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not here to, you know, share or gossip of what's going on in your life. There's confidentiality ab- about it. Um, so, you know, there's some skeptics out there. And of course, anytime you talk uh, faith-based stuff that's, you know, there's always, uh, those out there that... You know, want to have their own take on uh, sure. uh, what that what it's made up of, but you know, I would say by and large, it's been well received, um, just from the comments I was reading from the survey, um, and and again, it'll take some time for the employees to warm up to their particular chaplain, and 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 this group actually does a wonderful job you know, matching uh, uh, you know male and female uh, you know diversity with with ethnicity, um, you know, with areas where we're in more urban areas, you know, they'll have a chaplain that's uh, African-American or areas where there's more Hispanic, they will have a Hispanic uh, chaplain. So, you know, there, it's been a positive experience so far. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, gauging if that's a factor that from our standpoint that uh, lets us uh, see that, that, you know re- retention wise there's drivers and and staff even that says hey you know i i i, I thought about leaving or i thought about doing this and the, the chaplaincy program you know helped me you know figure things out and sure and i want I to work with a company that that does stuff like that
2: No, it's it's so probably a little bit different than the counseling sessions we had at midwest bus on like thursday afternoons right like I'm guessing. Yeah. Sounds like it's probably a little yeah. bit different.
3: Yeah, no coolers of beer. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like, how much, I mean, I, I guess I don't want you to get too much into the risk side or, or necessarily give us the, quote, cool keys to the kingdom. But just for the people listening, right, how much different is contract? You're driving a school bus, but how much different is the contracted transportation versus public transportation and like how how risky is it for you guys to have a contract with a district that you have to like you're literally saying we're going to do this service for you and and essentially promising to come through without you know without dropping the ball What is that I mean what does that look like and how what's the stress level I guess that goes along with it
3: yeah no that's a great question you know because obviously every contractor out there says they're the best and safest and and you know we, we're never short drivers but uh, uh the fact of the matter is you know not no one's out there that's perfect you know this is a tough industry it's a tough thing to do whether it's uh, school owned or, or contracted um you know a contractor there there is some skin in the game because you are under contract and and the district can hold you accountable if you don't perform to the level that that you've said you know what you would do and um uh, you know, a contractor, you know, always has that pride factor too. You know, they don't want to lose a contract because of poor, poor poor performance. That you know, this is a fairly small group of uh, people in the industry, and you know that that type of word gets around when someone, you know, basically loses a contract because they failed to perform. Um, so it it is something I, I think all contractors are conscious of. Uh, at DS Bus Lines, you know, we're no different in that, but. At the same time, being a family owned company uh, and we're able to do some things, you know, and, and Chad knows this, you know, this comes from Don Kincaid. You know, when we shake someone's hand and, and we tell some someone we're going to do something, you know, our words are bond. And yep. um, and if we have to spend $50,000 to fix it or to make it right, we're going to do that. And, um, you know, a lot of our customers in, in our uh, surveys say the same thing hey, DS bus lines isn't perfect, but when I approach them with a problem that's going on, you know, they attack it. They don't run away from it. Um, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, contractor wise, uh, I I would hope that sets us apart from our competitors. Um, you know, from a school district side, I've never worked for school, but I'm I'm sure when a superintendent or board tells, uh, someone in the transportation department to do something, I'm sure it, it holds a little more, uh, steam with with getting something done um but at the same time you know they that person may just lose their job if they don't do that where a contract you're going to lose your your contract and and depending on the size of the contract that that could be significant dollars and then uh let's say let's say you were in a five-year contract and you didn't perform and and the or the district decided to exercise the termination clause and now you're stuck with uh let's say hundred buses. If that's a hundred bus contract, what do you do with those hundred buses now?
1: Yeah. which isn't a-
2: Well, and I, I remember, I remember a story Don told me, talking about how you guys are operated and family owned family run. I mean, you're right. Don is a shake your hand type of guy. and He told me a story when I was still there. He said, well, I'm going over to the school, to drop off a check. We taking a check for, so he, I guess the story without going into details, he said he could do it for a certain amount of money. For that year, he actually came in less than that, so he took the that the money that he basically used, performed saved, I guess saved if you will, and gave it back to the school because he agreed to do it for a certain amount of money. True. And uh, he came in under that, so he was taking the check back to the school district. Is- I don't know what other business owner would do something like that, but <laughs> not many. Yeah, that's
3: and, and we we've continued to do that, and, and you know, not necessarily that's our business model, but you know. I, you know, there's times where we look at a contract and there's some unknown risk involved, you know, whether it's a, there's a union contract and we just don't know the wage scale or what benefits are involved. And we'll tell a school district, you know, here's our price and it's, it's more or less what we call a cost plus, you know, if we're going to go in I, here.
2: If, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know if you wanted me to say that on on the air. So I, <laughs> I avoided the cost I, plus. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Let's try to be vague.
3: Now I think from the standpoint of what, where things are, I, I, you know, I, I tell that that's one of the things I'm proud of the Kincaid family to do that, that, you know, cause you're right. Most, uh, business owners, you know, at the end of the year, oh man, we did better than I thought we would, you know, that becomes more profit. <laughs> and where Don Kincaid says, Hey, I want to make 8%. If I make 10%, whatever that dollar amount is, I'm gonna write you a check back and, uh, and the two contracts. Our, our largest ones are set up that way in the last couple of years, they've gotten over $700,000 checks back, uh, because of that. And, that's um, crazy. it is, and, but it's, it's one of those things that's Don told me, you, you guys took a chance on, on making a change and we weren't necessarily low bid, but we told you if, if, uh, at the end of the year, we, we factored things in and, and if we didn't spend those dollars, we'll be good stewards of your, your taxpayer money and your school and we'll write a check back to you
2: ah good stewards of taxpayer money man i love the sound of that i (laughs) wish there there were more people like that
1: (laughs) so what happens when you know let's i'm sure this probably happens fairly frequently right A, a district doesn't have the money to to continue to proceed with contracts so they just—I mean, not—they'll—they'll they'll honor their contract, right? Because that money's earmarked. But let's say that you're coming out of a five-year contract, and they just go, you know what? We can't—we can't afford it this year. Like, I mean, what—what what happens then? You guys just kind of hang on to your drivers and try and spin something else up, or they—you know—kind of get let go, I guess.
3: You know, I, um thirty years doing this, I've—I've I've never heard of a school. Basically, just saying we don't have money for transportation. Now they may say we don't have, let's say we're asking for a ten percent increase, and we say we don't have that in our budget. You know, they will say that, and they may go out to bid instead of negotiating the contract with you. But I've never had a school just say, "Hey, you know, your contract's two million dollars a year. We don't have two million dollars uh, to do transportation anymore." Um, so it, you know, I, I don't. Every contract or every state's a little bit different but uh most states have that in there let's say we do a five-year contract because of the cost of capital but every state's a little bit different if there's no funding from the state level the district always has a way out saying hey you know we normally get 50 percent funding uh for transportation now that's 10 percent. we now we can't afford you know to provide buses we have to do something else sure you know i, I can imagine were to happen, we'd work with them to figure out some solutions. Um, you know, kids, and that's what's kept me in this business. Uh, you know, it's been fairly uh, uh, just re- resistant to uh, the economy, and you know, even COVID to a to a certain degree. Um, you know, schools, there's there's always going to be funding because there's such a, a population out there that if you didn't provide busing, those kids would not get educated.
2: Sure. So you talk. So- Go ahead. Jim. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. I'm... So you mentioned you mentioned different states, so that brings up kind of what we touched on earlier is like, um, why do you think, and I, I'm sure you've dealt with contractors obviously for years, probably all over the country, why do you think it is that like out here, like Arizona, Nevada, you know, all these states out west, contracting is not a big thing. I mean, I have one school district out of all my customers I deal with that contracts, and that's it. I mean, i want yeah. one. So, I mean, why do you think uh, that that's that's actually not a big thing? I don't, My my theory is they drive so many dang miles. I mean, buses out here, 10 years old, have way more miles on them than they did coming out of Illinois or Arkansas or Oklahoma, you know, on the lease returns. I mean, they put a ton of miles on the vehicles out here. I don't know. Maybe it's a funding issue with the state. Maybe it's not set up to where they could. To operate that way I, I don't know I, I'd i be curious as well like why that isn't such a, a big thing as yeah, in the Midwest
3: <clears throat> you know it it is funny because uh, again I think if if you pulled back in the 70s or 80s you know how many schools across the nation were contracted and how many schools were uh, district operated it would probably be 70% district operated 30% contracted and uh, and I would say if you did that today it'd be pretty dang close to the same percentage points. Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll see schools that are, are operated by themselves and they, they'll go outsourcing. And then every once in a while, you'll see a district that's been contracted for years and years that goes back in-house and operates their own buses. Uh, so there's, I think it goes back and forth, just kind of depending on a uh, superintendent, what they're used to, or board member, what, ha- what have you. But, um, you know, I think it does go back, Chad your point with uh, you know the density of population I think the types of roads uh, you know the ruralness um, I I think if you look at more of your urban larger populated schools you're going to see a heavy probably contracting Uh, and it may not be the case in Arizona but um, you know Kansas for example the uh, five largest schools in Kansas are all contracted and then it drops off from uh, every school that's less than probably a uh, hundred buses run their run their own. So in, any district that has over a hundred buses are outsourced. So I think it, it becomes you know, hey, we we've got the headache of you know dealing with multiple schools and maintaining buildings and ed- education. The, the last thing we want to do is have to worry about transportation on top of everything else. That that could be part of it where a smaller school can say, hey, superintendent wears many hats, and even your, your more rural schools, Chad, you know this, that superintendent may drive a dang bus. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just because that's that's just part of it in, in the smaller uh, rural communities. So I, I think it's a mixed uh, portion of, of that. Out east, you're right, there, there's a lot heavier contracted. Pennsylvania is probably 80% contracted, 20%. Uh, school district-owned. Uh, Illinois is probably about 70 contracted, 30% district-owned. Um, I think it kind of goes back to there may be some funding or there may be some, I don't know, back in the day, there may be a company that that really is incentivized some schools to, to make that switch and make that change. And uh, as I've learned over the years, a lot of schools once they get used to something, uh, they don't want to make it make a change, and and whether that's running their own buses or or outsourcing it.
2: Do you think that well, you, well, you, and if you're if you're a larger district, how do you go back? I mean, you run in, say fifty buses or hundred buses. How do you how do you go back? How do you say I mean, we're going to get that contract I, and we're going to go buy a hundred new buses and and a bunch of employees and outfit our shop to to maintain these buses?
3: yeah No, I, that that's another great point because yeah, you you. you you know, districts, even whether they're capital, you know, a sh- a Shawnee Mission, 200 bus, you know, are, you, are they going to have $30 million to go in,
2: and buy buses? No. Do you think that thirty you... thirty million? $30 What type of buses are they buying? <laughs> can't <laughs> get, you, can't get them buses for $30 million They're anymore. buying
1: bluebirds. <laughs> Do, uh, do, whatever. <laughs> shut up. You do you, Do you think that unions and uh, right, like Arizona's a right to work state, right? We don't have any unions here, so there's associations. But do you think that that partly play might play into maybe the more willingness to the district realizing that they maybe don't have the or or want to deal with the workforce and the salary rate that goes to those types of positions, so they'd rather just hand it off to somebody that that you know like a business to manage it.
3: You know, I, I, unions, uh, at least in the Midwest, aren't as prevalent probably as, you know, East and West Coast. Um, so, you know, we there are school districts that have unions for their bus drivers, and there's obviously contractors. We've got two union locations, um, but it's because we inherited them as we took over from another provider and, um, you know, basically hired the, the same driver pool. Uh, so we inherited the, the union and the right to bargain with them. Um you know, but but Kansas is also a right-to-work state so while it's a union uh, shop it's not a closed shop so out of 300 employees let's say in Shawnee Mission you have uh, close to 30 drivers maybe that are actually paying dues hmm. okay. it's yeah all of them are represented but you know right to work and and you don't have to you don't have to pay dues it's it's elected
2: Interesting. It's like those thirty are getting screwed, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so
1: I'm just looking here.
2: Um, yeah, look at the outline. What What are we missing on the outline, Scott? You, know you, you're not now, really man.
1: stepping in and helping out as a co-host, there, Chad.
2: I just asked Scott what's on the outline.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, Chad doesn't follow the, <laughs> I no, don't
2: follow the script. He certainly doesn't.
1: Uh, but for so, um. Yeah, Scott I mean, I, that from experience. I, I, I'm just, you know, interested because I think here, right, like Chad said, there's only one, maybe two districts that I know of that really heavily use, um, you know, contracted bus service, right? I think Durham, uh, at least one of them, I know for students here are operating, um, but, you know, whether they're operating through charter schools or whatnot, I feel like more of our districts are, are used to using or are more apt to using, like, van services, do you guys offer things like that? Or are you strictly in the, in the bus side?
3: No, we, we do a little bit of everything, um, as well, you know, predominantly school buses, but, uh, for schools that have, uh, uh utilized vans, um, you know, we run those too, or at least lease those to schools. If they have, uh, uh, folks that drive them, um, you know, whether it's shuttle them, you know, from school to school, certain kids because of, uh, classes or because of special needs. So we, we do it all as well. Um, you know, that's probably the other thing with with contracting that, that schools uh, benefit. You know, you can make it what you what you want it. So if, if the school says, hey, you know, the home-to-school stuff is really where we stub our toe. We're just not very good at it. We want to outsource it. But, you know, we have a lot of coaches, and we've got a lot of folks that like to drive the activities. Um, we'll keep some buses for that, and you guys do that you know, that's something that we negotiate through. And, uh, uh and w- what I'll tell you is a lot of times it may start out that way, but after a year or two, uh, you know, just trying to find the rotation, the drivers for activity trips becomes a hassle. And then most schools basically say, okay, you can have that part too.
1: Right. It, it almost like they, once they see how well it works, it's like, well, we don't want to deal with it anymore at all.
3: Yep. Yep. And, and same thing, you know, sometimes, uh, special needs, you know, uh, because of funding, maybe they get more funding through special needs. So they'll outsource that, you know, because they get more reimbursed dollars back, uh, whether that's state or federal, and uh, they'll keep the regular routes themselves. Um, So it's, you you can really tailor, make it to what your district's more comfortable with. um, And we even have schools that uh, basically provide the fleet uh, just because like Chad said, you know, what if three years later, you know, this isn't a relationship we want to be in. We still want to have our own fleet. Uh, we'll do, we'll do uh, basically a managed contract where uh, the district will provide the fleet, the insurance, and we'll, we'll do the drivers, maintain the buses, maintain the routes. Um, so it, you can really tailor make it. And it's just not a full service turnkey for everything. If there's a part of the business that, that uh, may be co- more conducive for the district to continue uh, by themselves. Um, and that's always an option for us to to talk about.
1: Right on. So I want to go ahead, Chad. I know Chad. No, no. i in, please. Chad. Hit it. What do you nope. got? Nope. Oh, all right. Well, just transitioning kind of away, maybe more on a personal note, or or um, what would you say you're most excited for for the future of student transportation as it evolves?
2: I should ask my question. <laughs> you know, I I uh,
3: I do see there's going to be more opportunities. I think there are going to be schools because of cost pressures. Because as Chad knows, the pricing of school buses are going up. Um, uh, labor is is always going to be a strong consideration. Um, you know, just with uh, uh, trying to uh, staff drivers. So I think you're, you're going to see some schools, you know, try to figure out, you know, what that looks like. I've, I've seen a couple RFPs already uh, this past spring, um, not necessarily looking for uh, us as a contractor or other contractors come in and take over. But, you know, they've, they've spent the last year being 15, 20 routes short. And they, you know, they'll operate the other 50 routes, but they're going to, you know, outsource the other 20. Uh, just because they've they've been traditionally short all school year. And so I think that's going to be an option where you, you may see a school district that runs half the buses and a contract that runs half the buses. Um, so I think there's going to be a, a various options out there. I think as, as uh, school districts uh, become more challenged with uh, costs, I think there's going to be some conversations of how to look at some co-ops even where various schools and said hey I've got a bus barn you all have a bus barn and you're 20 minutes from from us let's let's figure out how to have one bus barn and not have to have all that expense and we'll we'll hire a contractor basically come in and and do all the routes where they can share spare buses they can share you know safety and training people shop people and there there may be some dollar advantages to uh, potentially save dollars
1: Chad, do you want to go with your question
2: now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so it's it's totally off the topic of where you guys were just at, but it kind of goes back to the driver and the and the bus part. I just want to run this by Scott because I've known Scott for quite a while and and uh, worked with him on selling a lot of buses out in the Midwest. But... Sounds like he's teeing you up, Scott. I'm, I'm teeing you up for Scott. <laughs> so I've got an idea for a business a business plan we ran this by a few people on the podcast i want to know your opinion so as i sell buses i'm working on a a side hustle a side gig to to complement the buses where you buy a bus you go through a like a three-ring binder and you pick out a driver that goes with the bus so i sell a driver with a bus i'm trying to (laughs) trying to figure out for sure If that falls under slavery i don't think it does (laughs) depending on how i set it up but so my idea is to sell a driver with a bus that i should sell almost every bus in arizona after that once i I figure that out
1: i've thought about this before scott answers i just i had this epiphany you're talking about ai that comes in smart intelligence robots that drive a bus you can do that without having to you know, cross over any labor laws. No,
2: I'm talking about <laughs> bus drivers. But I mean, that may have to, may be where I get around it. Yeah. But can you imagine Scott? You say, Hey Chad, I need to buy 20 buses. I'm like, great. Here you go. By the way, here's a book. Pick out the driver you want. You go, Oh, well this guy, he's eight years experience, you know, clean. I like the way he looks. I want him with that bus. I want her and him and him and her and her. I mean, you just get to pick out your drivers. You'd be set. You bring home ten new buses along with drivers.
3: So, so you're saying Tinder for bus drivers, right?
2: Yeah, one one bus <laughs> driver with each bus. Swipe left, swipe right. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna call it Tinder, but it's already taken. So call it something Dad's else. Been single
3: know. too long. <laughs> call, it,
2: <laughs> call it bus busser.
3: Something yeah. like that. <laughs> I you thought know, it was a great, I, great idea. I think there is going to be some opportunities for uh, contractors once they can figure out the, the, you know, the secrets to getting people in the door. I, I think everyone's still scratching their head with uh, just unemployment and, and, you know, there's so many jobs out there and, and actually good paying jobs. There's options for people. Um, and, you know, this past year, uh, you know, looking at staffing reports throughout our company, and just seeing, you know, how many applications we had, how many people showed up for interviews, how many people started class, how many people went in behind the wheel. I mean, it was discouraging. And like I had to, you know, ask a couple of folks saying, Hey, you guys didn't update your, your sheet from Cape from last week. No, no, Scott, it's that's accurate. Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no one's, no one's knocking on the door or answering our ad or so what? it's, it, it, that is something that you know contractors and school districts alike are going to have to figure out how to get more people interested in school bus driving and uh you know your your older group that's 60 plus is aged um, you know the willingness of them uh driving a school bus because they drove uh you know whatever type of commercial vehicle in their in their uh, professional life you know that, i think that's dwindling down and And, uh, you know, trying to get a 30, 40-year-old to look at school buses as a potential profession and uh, starting out. And and again, I think, Jason, you're to be applauded because I think, you know, from the standpoint of folks knowing that, hey, I'm going to have to drive a bus for a little bit, but there may be opportunities for me to work my way up to a management-type position. You know, I mean, we look at that. I mean, we have that right now. We have a manager and training program. We're looking for people within our our employee groups, whether a driver or a dispatcher, and we're saying, "How do we invest in them?" Uh, to you know, as we grow, we have someone that says, "Hey, I, I want to run a 50 bus location in Arizona, or yeah. you know, a, a, whatever." So, I, I think that's something that a lot of folks are probably you know putting uh, stuff on a whiteboard and seeing uh, what sticks and and Chad, maybe you and I need to get a cooler of beer and sit around a table and and fix the world's problems.
2: Hey, it's worked many times before. Give us a problem, we'll fix it.
1: <laughs> well, that was that we were just talking about that before you got on. Was that that was the kind of the intent of the show was to sit out with a cooler of beer and uh, on, <laughs> on someone's patio and just literally, you know, talk shop. So and and record it so that other people could listen to it. I think, I think honestly, these types of conversations. Chad's been, how many of these have you done with me? 20 at least, I feel like. So, you know, how many times do we have solid, good conversation, whether it's in these or with our friends or at conferences, you know, in the networking times that we're just talking about listening and hearing each other's problems and figuring out, like, what if scenarios, right? What if this was fill in the blank. Right. And then just kind of, yeah, it's pie in the sky or, you know what? I think that that can kind of foster and, and, you know, nurture that seed a little bit to turn into something that's a viable solution for anybody and everybody. So I think kudos to, you know, just coming on. Thank you, Scott, for, you know, coming on. I think we just almost hit an hour. So, um, We'll let you get going. Any final thoughts between either of you, Chad, Scott?
2: Well, Scott, first of all, get your ass out. Here. Oh, excuse me. Get, your, get out here to you're, you're
1: fine. You're fine. Get this out here to it. Arizona yeah.
2: so we can crack open some beer, sit on the back patio.
1: Yeah, wait till October when it cools off because he knows. Yeah.
2: He comes to Arizona every once in a while. He came a couple of years ago and didn't even call. I found out on Facebook he was up north. Uh, we could.
3: Yeah, you know, no. It's, it's been a while since uh, we've traveled and, and, uh, Chad, you've been to the house here, but you haven't been here since we've done our little addition in the shop and you and Courtney need to make a trip here as well, but I'm dying to no, see we, it.
2: I, I see it on Facebook and I'm envious, man. That thing is awesome.
3: Well, we, we see you in the pool and, and, uh, man, <laughs> Jackson, Jackson's getting big and now we, we do need to do that. And, and we're actually talking about maybe a, a trip this fall, uh, to come out to scottsdale and uh actually one of our friends actually the guy that built the bar uh he's his uh he's got a good friend that has a house out there and i think he he said he gives him a the week every fall he's kind of retired and they want us to go shannon and i to go out there with them and i told shannon the same thing i said man if we go out there we need to get a hold of chad and courtney and catch up and and uh, see how life's treating them and but uh no it the Midwest has uh, always been home to me, and I know Chad's from Oklahoma, but uh, uh, you know I, I, we love the Southwest and and getting out to New Mexico or Arizona. That's some of our favorite places to travel.
1: Yep, right on. Well, I like I said, appreciate you. I think this is gonna wrap up for me and Chad at least going into TAA. Hopefully, we'll do one live while we're there—not live, but recorded. But yeah. Yeah,
2: for sure. Those are good so, ones.
1: So, uh, you know, we we'll I'm
2: I'm out. on my game at those, Scott. Make sure you tune those. <laughs> well, how many bourbons you have to have before you do them? Three.
1: Three bourbons. <laughs> right on. Well, again, appreciate all of you uh, tuning in. Hopefully you guys find this um, you know, valuable, especially for the ones that are uh looking to explore how to offset their you know, their driver shortage. I know it's a real thing right now. And uh kudos to you, Scott, for the, the work that you guys are doing and um love love hearing the you know, just kinda all about this. So I appreciate you taking the time out today to, to come on the show.
3: Yeah. I appreciate it.
2: All right, tell, tell 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 Dale, Don and Scott I said hello. I will. I will.
1: Till then, everybody Thanks, take care. Be good. Drive safe. Enjoy your summer. Adios.
0: You've been listening to Hey Bus Driver. Thanks for being part of our community. If you're a student transportation professional, you are part of our family. The show is coming to a close, but you can reach out online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. And check out the website at www.heybusdriver.com. Till next time, this is Hey Bus Driver. Signing off.